0: Please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this episode.
1: Welcome to Investing Insights. I'm your host, Ivana Hampton. What people want to drive is changing. There's pent-up demand to buy, trade in, and trade up. Morningstar Research Services, U.S. Auto's equity analyst, Dave Wiston shared his industry outlook in Part 1 of Where Can the Automotive Industry Go From Here? He explained why he thinks car makers already experienced a recession, so check out Part 1 in case you missed it. Now, Dave talks about the shift to electric vehicles and two cheap stock picks. As you mentioned uncertainty centering around the economy, you've written that there are reasons to be optimistic about U.S. auto demand. One of them is that many people are driving old cars. Let's talk about that.
2: Yeah, so the the fleet age, uh, basically it tends to creep up every year. I mean, cars are more durable than they were say in the 70s, for example. Um, But there's also a certain element of people putting off a purchase, uh, either for economic reasons or because the inventory just hasn't been available the past few years. but you can only defer, and you can do a lot of maintenance, whatnot. But you can only defer certain things forever, and then uh, you know accidents can still happen, or you, you, uh, tra- you're, um, you can you're kind a major powertrain issue, um, gasket work, something like that can be really expensive. You might just say it's okay. It's time to buy a new car. There's also um, you know safety reasons. Honestly, I mean, I, I still remember watching. Um, when I first started years ago, I used to cover auto leave a, a company that does, uh, uh, of safety equipment. They love to show safety videos at the end of the presentation. I still remember one where they took a, a giant big, uh, they're Swedish. So they took a big Volvo station wagon that was older than a smaller car that they had. And then they smashed them head on and you would think, Oh, well, the big station wagon will, will win that battle, right? No, that, that giant station wagon, it folded up like a paper cup. And that's, that's always struck with me, never struck me. And, and I've always remembered that. So I, um, you know for those that have the means i think to just for safety reasons uh, it, i think it's helpful not to have a car for 15 plus years just because um the safety features do get better and the, and the structural integrity of steel the steel body and whatnot it, it gets better over time um so in addition to safety there's um, there's other reasons you might want to uh, buy a new car. You know, your lifestyle needs may change. Families get bigger or smaller. Um, you can, of course, you know, you might be forced to because you have an accident. Your car gets totaled. Uh, but there's also just you know, the tech and safety in a car is so different in, in 2023 than it was in say 2007 um, when I started following the industry. I mean, now you've got 4G Wi-Fi in vehicles, and you know, even 5G is on its way. Um, you've got uh, passive and active safety, like lane departure and all the lidar, radar sensors, things like that. You've got, um, if you want to spend a lot of money, you can do things like uh, Tesla's uh, autopilot mode—a term I use generously because that's what they call it. But and and their FSD uh, technology, and then uh, GM's got their Super Cruise technology, and they've got uh, Ultra Cruise coming out on the Cadillac uh, Celestique, um very soon. I think that's next year, late this year. Um, and and that can drive on uh about 95% of all roads you just need to still be paying attention um so th- there's um, th- there's a lot that's different um even compared to say 2015 too so there there's just a lot of um reasons to get a new car um if If you've got an old one, um and then also they've got the the continued trend of of more Americans wanting light trucks, light trucks, which are pickups, crossovers, minivans, suVs um that that's now about eight, I think of the last month it was eighty percent of all new light vehicles sold in the u s were were light truck models. so if if there are always people that have that Honda Civic or Corolla, let's say from two thousand and nine, but um, over time, more and more of those people have traded up to uh, a light truck such as a crossover. Crossovers are north of 45% of, of uh, sales.
1: So with the new safety features and other tech gear inside of cars, how are automakers going to convince people to buy or lease a new car?
2: Yeah, I, I think with uh, – ultimately, it's a, for whether you want to buy or lease the vehicle, I think ultimately it's about having – uh, the right level of inventory, and we're just not quite there yet um it's it's going to be a little you've got kind of two competing forces this year, and then you've got poor affordability and rising rates um combined with with inventory finally starting to get better, but still has a ways to go um so it'll be interesting to see um I haven't seen consumers completely walking away yet um and i um but you, you never know if, if things get worse i mean interest rates. Uh, my, my opinion on this, and I've, I've asked some, some dealer CEOs about this. They they're 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 high, and it's you know the average new vehicle payment right now is over seven hundred dollars in this country. If you want to lease, it's like five hundred seventy eight dollars in the fourth quarter. That's that's too high. Uh, as trim packages get more wider, and you get some lower option trim packages, I think that'll help bring a, a, a pricing down too. Um, but rates right now on the new vehicle side, it's a little over six percent on average. Um we can probably go by my math just looking at the sensitivities is how does that payment change using sixty nine point four months or so as as the the loan term for every hundred bip increase um what does that mean mean to to the rate um generally it 's something like eighteen dollars a month um but you know you know a hundred bips is one thing if you start to get like i said well north of ten percent I would get more concerned. Um, so I think that the Fed can raise rates a bit more. Will they? remains to be seen. Perhaps the recent regional bank uh, contagion risk and the collapse of SVB and Signature Bank, uh, maybe that'll give the Fed reason to pause or at least moderate its rate increases. We'll just have to wait and see how that plays out. Um, uh, but it's, it's, it's going to be uh, choppy and lumpy. I mean, what would really scare me would be, do rates go back to 1982 levels where a new vehicle loan rate was nearly 18 percent? Uh, that would be a disaster, um, but hopefully we will not go there. I don't, I don't think we will, but obviously you never know.
1: Well, will the trend of new car long terms stretching out, will that trend continue?
2: Yeah, I think on, on duration uh, of, of a loan, I mean, it's roughly 69.4, 69.5 months right now on average. You do have some seven, eight year uh, loans out there. Um, not not a ton, but um, there's only so much you can do with a car. Um, you know, going to say a 30 year car loan, like you do with a mortgage, it doesn't make any sense because the collateral profile on a house versus a car is, is totally different. And uh, generally, someone who buys a new car, they might they might hold it on average roughly five to six years. So um, yeah, I think it'll creep up a bit. Uh, one because of, of pricing is high, people, and that's one of the key ways you can manage that monthly payment. And a lot of it isn't. For the consumer, a lot of times it's all about just what is the monthly payment. It's not even what is the interest rate. They just want to get the monthly payment to something that works in their budget, and you, that's that's the way you can do it uh, is with the loan term to a, to a point. Um, you know, one thing to keep an eye on too, though, is the risk of negative equity, which is you know when when you're trading in, do you still owe, owe money on that car uh, that you're trading in? Um, the um, it, it's it, it's weird. You, you I see fear mongering articles about this in the press quite often. I've asked the dealers I cover about it. They never seem worried about it. They always feel like they can work around it. And and they have, honestly. Um, And for the most part, they do um, third-party lending with a few exceptions. But um, their third-party lenders uh, seem to be willing to um, uh, make it work somehow. Generally, you have to roll the negative equity into a new loan. Um, So that could could keep uh, sales maybe... I wouldn't say it's going to freeze sales, but it might prevent sales from getting to, say, $17.5 million at, immediately after the chip shortage is over. Um, but it, it'll be an issue for a bit just because you've got people who have bought and now pricing is coming down. Um, they may need to hold on a bit longer before they buy.
1: Can you explain this shift and why drivers are now favoring crossovers and SUVs over sedans?
2: Yeah, so light trucks um, were about 45. They got down they fell to about 45% of, of new light vehicle sales around uh, 08 or 09. Um, You'll recall before Lehman Brothers collapsed, gas prices were were sky high and you had things like a, a used Prius was selling for more than a new Prius because everyone was freaking out about gas prices. But, um, you know, over time, that mix has now gone up to 80%, as I mentioned earlier. And you've got a few, I think there's a, a couple of variables there. Um, uh, one, there, there is a bit of a stereotype, but I think it's, Stereotype because because it's true most Americans do like larger bigger vehicles um, they feel safer they feel like they they have more command they feel they can see better if they're up high um, there's still people uh, I'm I'm in the minority here but I still personally prefer sedans um, so I don't think sedans will go away but um, uh, crossovers have made it a lot easier to go into light truck um, if you especially if you maybe you, you aren't a minivan person that's you know some people are some people aren't. Um, but you've got a lot of options now, whereas before, if you wanted to go, um, you didn't want a sedan, you had to go all the way up to, well, in the industry, we call a body on frame SUV. Think like a Cadillac Escalade, Chevy Suburban Tahoe, you know, really big hulking vehicles like that. Those are actually made on a full-size pickup truck platform. Um, crossovers on the other hand are, are what's on an industry process, it's called unibody construction, uh, basically the same kind of, uh, platform, um, and, and a body of, uh, of a car. You just have... Rejiggered some things to make the vehicle uh, higher and have more more cargo space, and so basically, you don't have to give up fuel economy now, at least not in any severe way, to get more more space. And and sometimes the pricing is, isn't all that different either. Um, you know, just an example. But I'm going to mix vehicle segments here. But take the Camry as a typical midsize family sedan. You know, back in the day, that would have perhaps been your family vehicle. And uh, before crossovers, and then uh one of the leading compact crossovers out there is the Toyota rav four um, so it, it, looking at starting prices um the rav four is only starts at about roughly eighteen hundred dollars more than the Camry, and so you 've ignoring interest rates if you just divide that out over um, if, I think I did this over sixty nine months if I remember right, but that comes out to an extra uh, i think twenty seven dollars a month um so it's not a lot per month to go price-wise to go up there to to the RAV4. And then in terms of fuel economy, according to fueleconomy.gov, you're on a combined fuel economy basis, you're only losing two miles per gallon between um, a, a Camry and a RAV4. So it's not a big difference, but then you get uh, in terms of cargo volume with the RAV4, you get about two and a half times more cargo space. So it makes it easier to switch up to a light truck and then you throw in things like feeling safer, um, higher, whatever uh, of driver's preferences, And now you're at light trucks at
1: 80%. Well, mention electric vehicles, and the name that probably comes to mind is Tesla. Um, You've written that GM is the one to watch. Why, Dave?
2: Well, Tesla is still the leader in terms of the all-electric segment, or or what what I call BEV, or battery electric vehicle. Um, you know, all electric vehicle, Tesla's still the number one player. They have a little over 60% share last year. That's down from, I think, 77% a couple of years ago. Um, basically because the industry, and GM's been a leader in this, the industry is finally making an effort to, because they see a path to making EVs profitably, um, they're, they're actually making desirable uh, BEVs now, uh, rather than these these awful econo boxes that would get 80 to 100 miles on a charge. And of course, nobody wanted, you know, go figure, right? Um so when you look at GM's EV portfolio now, um you know, people think probably think of, of the bolt or and the bolt EUV, but there's a lot more to it than that. Th- those are actually on an old battery uh platform now. Um and, and that one was on is under recall, but the, the new platform Ultium is is not under recall and there there hasn't been fire risk, uh at least in a major way reported with, with Ultium yet, to my knowledge. So um you've got vehicles now like the um the Hammer the, the pickup truck. That's already out. In I believe twenty twenty four, the Hummer SUV EV comes out. Um, the Cadillac Lyra crossover is already out, and that is a, I think, a very worthy competitor. to The Tesla Model Y. Now, there's charging network differences. That Tesla has the supercharging network, and the other automakers don't. Although Mercedes wants to go that path, we'll, we'll see how that works out. Um, but um, you know. Uh, personally i've been critical of tesla's interiors they're just i don't think they're they i mean yes it's a modern futuristic interior but to me it's just not luxurious and worth the price point uh for what the, for what they charge i think they should offer a better interior um and and you get that now when you look at like a mercedes eqs you look at um the cadillac lyric for example um the, the, these are good looking desirable evs with really good range um you know up 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 and around the 300 mile uh range per uh per charge and then uh There's more coming from GM. You've got the Silverado EV this year. The Sierra comes out next year, I believe. And then this fall is really interesting. Um, You've got a few crossovers, uh, the the Blazer EV, um, and then this fall is the Equinox uh, EV that's going to start at $30,000. And I think this is going to be a very interesting vehicle to watch because this is the first true – High volume attempt to go after the mass market customer with an EV that's actually desirable in terms of range and, and amenities and whatnot. So it's going to be interesting to see does it does that Equinox do really well, uh, whereas say something like the Tesla Model Three has done very well. You know, can, can the industry get success in EVs beyond Tesla? And I, I, I think GM's Equinox is going to be a really good. Um, uh, I hate to use the word experiment, but a really, really, really interesting thing to watch in terms of ma- the mass market adoption of EVs. Um, anyway, at, a, at a bit higher price point in a different segment, you look at something like the Ford Lightning uh, pickup truck EV, that has done very well. Um, so I, I'm optimistic for the Equinox, but uh, ultimately we'll see what happens. But yeah, there, there's a lot coming from GM and they do believe in an all-electric feature. They believe both Cadillac and Buick will be all-electric by 2030. Uh, and their their whole company they see uh, going electric, uh, all-electric by 2035.
1: Now, GM is calling itself an auto tech company. Can you explain why they're doing that?
2: Yeah, that's a term I heard CEO Mary Barra use in an interview and um, you know, there, there's a lot going on at GM uh, and really in the whole industry beyond just selling cars now. Um, in GM's case, you've got uh, several new businesses. They outlined all this in October 2021 at an analyst day um, and, and introduced some pretty aggressive uh, financial targets for 2030 um but they're they're looking now for 25 billion in in revenue by 2030 in what they call SES, just software enabled services this includes 6 billion from OnStar insurance which is already uh commercialized in the marketplace um and also 10 to 15 billion of revenue for various subscription services and this will be for a wide range of things like um uh uh you could possibly get super cruise or ultra cruise on a subscription basis as opposed to just buying it up front um, or you could do things like customize various things in your in, in your vehicle, whether it's the, the, the console display to be personalized to something you like. I think they use an example in slide deck of the PGA tour if you were a golf enthusiast. Um, but you can expand this over time too, especially as you get perhaps more um quasi semi-autonomous capabilities uh in vehicles, um where you could have more um you could do gaming e-commerce infotainment you know augmented reality virtual reality even there's all sorts of things perhaps down the road uh, you could do uh, with that um but again uh 25 billion of revenue on nascent to non-existent businesses today. Uh, GM's talking about 80 billion in revenue by 2030 from from things that are either nascent or, no, or non-existent today. And the single biggest piece of that 80 billion is 50 billion by 2030 for their cruise autonomous vehicle subsidiary, which they own about 80, a little over 80% of, uh, along with some other big players like Honda and, and Microsoft. Um, Cruise is, is really interesting, and I don't think GM gets enough credit for this at all. Um, that is level four autonomous technology, meaning geofence autonomy. Um, and they'll have the cruise origin. It's supposed to start be, being produced this year. That, doesn't even, that just has a passenger area. There is no driver's console area. That is an autonomous vehicle. You just and it's, it's, I've been inside it. It's quite spacious and comfortable, tons of legroom. Um, and you just, you just get in, and it, it, it looks like a giant pod, basically. Um, and it takes you, and it'll just take you within any geofenced area in the city it's operating in. They are already offering uh, commercialized, where where consumers pay for ro- uh, level four uh, Robotaxi services in San Francisco, Austin, Phoenix. And they're the exclusive Robotaxi provider starting this year uh, for, for Dubai. So, um, you know, this is the kind of thing I think um, if, if Tesla was doing it, it would be considered amazing. Uh, but Uh, for um, when GM does it, they don't seem to get the credit they deserve.
1: The audience can probably sense that GM is one of your picks. Dave, lay out your case.
2: Yeah, so I've said this for a while and um, I know it's been frustrating at times. It's gone up, it's gone down and mostly has been Getting held back. There was always a fear of one way and have a recession. Well, you just had it in 2020. Um, you look at the, the cash flow and the EPS GMs delivering it. It doesn't seem to to me. It doesn't seem worthy of a company that should be training at a Ford P multiple, of five to seven, six to eight times. But that is the reality. Um, you know, this is a radically different company from old GM. Uh, you know, they break even. They can break even now in North America at, at what would be basically 2009 sales levels, which, in my opinion, we probably won't even see again anyway. Um, and even if we did, I think with the per capita population math, you'd be at more like 11.4 million now, not or 11.6 million, something like that, not 10.4 million like we were in 2009, so you'd be at a higher volume anyway, um, but much more different company, and then the, um, the 2030 t- financial targets they outlined in October 2021, that's 300 billion in total company revenue, adjusted EBIT margin of 12 to 14%. Um, if you do the math on that, uh, you would assume tax rate, and you assume no more share buybacks between now and 2030. Even though they are buying back shares, you would get to an EPS of of $20. Um, and if you even keep the the PE multiple close to where it's been, do do eight times. You know that's $160 stock. That's that's more than four times where it's trading uh, right now in in mid March. Um, and if you if you discount that back to the present, it's it's only within a few dollars of, of my uh, current fair value estimate, actually um so uh, th- to me um i think people need to to realize that um new gm is much more efficient than it used to be uh they're capable of generating you know probably in the range of eight to ten billion a year in, in free cash flow and in terms of automotive free cash flow uh, you've still got a growing uh, captive finance arm because they had to start their finance arm from scratch remember they got rid of gmac and then uh, bought americredit and they've rebuilt that in, in in terms of gm financial and they're that's no longer just a subprime lender they're, that's mostly a prime lender now um so uh for you know for, for me um I, I i current stock levels in the in, in the 30 range i i just don't think that makes any sense i mean obviously there's a lot of fear right now i, I i'm not blind to that fact and yes um inflation is going to be an issue um probably beyond 2023 but uh, GM has shown that they can execute in, in difficult environments. And again, we, we, with, with these new SES services, with, with Cruise going to get a lot bigger, especially in the second half of this decade, that's where most of Cruise's revenue growth is going to come. Is going to be post 2025. Um, you're looking at a company that over time, its EPS should keep growing. Uh, well above the seven and a half, you know, it did it did a little less than eight dollars a share last year, but um, you can certainly get uh, beyond double digits here because it's it's not even selling those data services to consumers. You can sell it to um, to, to governments too. Um, you know, they, with OnStar insurance and and other data the vehicles collecting, uh, they can do things like say, well, this is where. This is where in your community people are wearing their seatbelt or not wearing their seatbelt. This is where you have potholes. This is where you may have potholes. This is where you need to do road maintenance. Um, And and according to GM's research, every dollar that a tax authority in maintenance that a a taxing authority puts off on on fixing a road that eventually costs them seven dollars later. So if you can get smarter with the data, GM can sell that data. And help uh, bring in some some more asset light revenue, which will be higher margin revenue than than selling cars. Of course, ultimately you still have to have a great product at the end of the day.
1: Well, let's move to your other stock pick. This auto supplier is rarely cheap. Tell us why Gentex is
2: a buy. Yeah, Gentex is uh Gentex and CarMax are really two of the my, my favorite names that I I cover and just in terms of the business quality. They're 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 great stories, great companies, and both are rarely cheap and uh, both are undervalued right now, and we'll just we'll stick with Gentex, given because you asked. Um, so Gentex, they make all. You may not have heard of them, but they uh, odds are if you have an auto dimming mirror in your car, Gentex made it. They they have about ninety percent market share of of all the world's auto dimming mirrors. It's, it's done through uh, electrochromic technology, uh, basically. Um, so uh, with, with Gentex, you basically you've got uh, a debt free, cash rich balance sheet a fortress balance sheet um and they're b- buying back a lot of stock now they're much more aggressive about it since the, the current ceo steve Downey took over at the start of 2018 they've reduced their diluted share count by 20 percent uh during his tenure uh they do pay a modest dividend a- as well um but again you've got the dominant market share uh, defry balance sheet so it's a name for me that i like to put uh, i like to mention to clients for the those that are apprehensive about investing in the auto industry because it's it's you know, highly capital intensive, it's highly cyclical. Uh, some people don't like the union you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons to hate the auto industry. I, I get that. But uh, if you look a little deeper, there, there's some really interesting names out there, especially in the supplier and dealer space um, that are perhaps off of people's radar screen because they just think of the OEMs like GM4, Toyota, et cetera. Um, but Gentex is a great company uh, with, with really tech company like margins and more comparable to, to Garmin's margins in terms of EBIT margins than to an auto supplier. They're way above the other auto, auto suppliers. Uh, out, their EBIT margins are north of 20%. A gross margins generally in the mid thirty percent range, um, to upper thirty percent range if things are going well. It's been held back a lot because of the chip shortage that's hurting all the suppliers right now because they can't get the volume. And it's been there's a lot of inefficient manufacturing going on at all suppliers because they'll they'll be ready to to do a batch for a customer and then the last second the customer says never mind we don't have the parts we can't make we have to not make that vehicle right now so that that trickles all throughout the supply chain upstream. Um, so, that, But that will eventually get better as the chip shortage gets better. Um, so I, I do see Gentex as undervalued. It's not drastically undervalued to the point where you're gonna double your, in my opinion, you, you're not gonna necessarily gonna, where to go to my fair value estimate. You're not going to double your money or triple your money from current uh, uh, stock price levels, but it's um, it's a, it's an attractive name that's very high quality. And uh, for those that are apprehensive about the auto industry, I think it's, it's a great name to, to think about or at least have on your radar.
1: All right. Well, Dave, thank you for your time today and your insights into the U.S. auto market. All right. Thank you. That was part two of where can the automotive industry go from here? Be sure to check out part one if you missed it. Thanks to Dave for sharing his auto industry outlook that included why 2024 could go in one or two ways. I'm thanking lead technical producer Scott Halver and senior video producer Jake Vankerson. And thanks to everyone who checked out today's episode of Investing Insights. Subscribe to Morningstar's YouTube channel for new videos from our team. I'm your host, Ivana Hampton. I'm a senior multimedia editor here at Morningstar. Take care.
0: This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of Morningstar, Inc. and its affiliates. While this guest may license or offer products and services of Morningstar and its affiliates, unless otherwise stated, he or she is not affiliated with Morningstar and its affiliates. Morningstar does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. Morningstar Research Services is a subsidiary of Morningstar, Inc. and is registered with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Morningstar Research Services shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analyses, or opinions, or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal,